with a word of prayer. Father, my prayer this morning is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. It's the first Sunday of football season. I want you to know that I got my Eagles tie out and I got my green Eagles shirt on and I was going to wear it and I said, you know, you're the pastor now. You're not the youth pastor. You're not the music director. So I didn't, but I thought about it. On my way to the gym this morning, now... You know, I sleep in on Sundays. I get up at 5.51 instead of 5.21 to go to the gym. And on the way, there's this man who is a rabid Eagles fan. I don't know him. I've never met him. But he bought a food truck. And he has tricked it out. It's got the Eagles logo on the side. And he's got a, a big grill on the back. And he was out strapping stuff to his truck at 6 o'clock in the morning to go over to the stadium to tailgate. tailgate. There you go, Paul. And if you go to tailgate, usually you gotta buy some tickets. So I looked up, the average cost for an Eagles ticket this year is $106 a seat. Oh That's before taxes and fees. And I don't know about you, but I like to park my car so I can go in. Yes. They're charging 20 to $30 to park your car. I know that because it's the same lot where we park our car for the Phillies. If two people buy two tickets and go together, you're talking $2,000 just to go to the games. That doesn't include owning the food truck that says the Eagles on it, or all the bratwurst you're going to cook, or the burgers, or, I mean, if you're going to pay all that money, you got to have the Eagles gear at least a cap or a shirt or a jacket. Now, if you were to take that, and let's stick with the $2,000 and divide that by 50 weeks of the year because you want to save up so you can go to the Eagles every year. That would be $2,000 divided by 50 weeks is $40 a week. Your average Eagles fan going over to tailgate is spending a minimum of $40 a week for an entire year for eight games. Just thought you'd like to know that. Now, uh, good news is, I do not know what anybody in the room puts in the plate except me. But I have to ask myself, is the average Christian putting $40 in the plate every week? Are we saying that the Eagles fans could be more faithful in their giving to Jeff Laurie and the Eagles than those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ are to our local church. Now, this is not a tithing sermon. It's just a sermon on perspective. Jesus said, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. So some people are headed over there, and they're making a commitment, and we have to ask today, what is our commitment? Now that's a pretty heavy way to start a sermon, so let me back up and make you laugh a little bit, because I actually have three introductions of this sermon, and I don't know which one to use, so I'll use them all, and then afterwards you can say which one worked best. Uh, my my, my son-in-law, Andrew, is the father of Theo. You've seen the pictures. Theo is now four months old. And he's decided that he needs to start collecting dad jokes. 
I said, well, you know, he's not really going to appreciate a good dad joke now. He says, yeah, but I want to be ready. I said, well, you know, you got to learn the dad jokes for cemeteries. He said, what? I said, every time you drive by a cemetery, you have to say, hey, kids, look, that's the dead center of town. People are dying to get in there. You see, now some of you are chuckling and some of you are like, yep, my dad told that joke. My dad told that joke every time we drove by for my entire life. That's a dad joke. But you know what? It's true. People are dying to get in there. In fact, I heard one speaker say nobody gets out alive. Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Well, why? Because in the end, there's an end. Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about bicycles, and I like to ride in, in long races. And I'm jealous of the skinny people, because they get to wear the coolest clothes on bicycles. Why? Because they have a shape they don't mind showing off. I hide mine as much as I can. But I'll never get this. One guy went speeding by me on the back of his shirt on the bicycle. It said, it's not the pace of life I mind. It's the sudden stop at the end. I've never found that shirt in a 3X. If you find a shirt like that in the 3X, let me know. But think about it. Jesus is talking about the sudden stop at the end. The race is not over until you get to the end. Where am I? So, Martin Luther said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. John F. Kennedy, now I, I was only four years old when he passed, but I remember growing up because every little kid had to do a JFK impression, right? You pulled your, your lip over your front teeth and you went, ask not what your country can do for you, but there you go. We, we all learned that quote, right? Well, what Jesus is saying today is ask not what your Savior can do for you. But ask what you can do for your Savior. What are you willing to do to follow Jesus? And he breaks it up into three very specific questions. Are you ready to give up everything? Are you ready to build something? And are you ready to fight in this war that's called spiritual warfare? I mean, Paul tells us to put on the armor of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to put armor on unless I'm headed out to war. He tells us to build the kingdom of God. Well, you have to have plans. You have to have the materials. You have to have the people to actually do the building. So we're going to be looking at these three questions this morning. Are you ready to give up everything? Are you ready to build the kingdom of God? And are you ready to enter into the war? So there was a man named Millard Dean Fuller. Now, you know they're important when they put their middle name in, right? You ever think about that? They say, oh, this is my friend, and you get a first and a last and a first and a last. But when they tell you their middle name, they're an important person. So his name was Millard Dean Fuller. He was a businessman, and I believe in the 1970s, he was making almost a million dollars a year. And the little blurb I read about him said he worked eight days a week. And we've all met people like that. They, they just work and work and work. He was so busy, instead of one a day, he took two one-a-days. I mean, he was, 
And if you make almost a million dollars a year, you know what the research tells us? Yes, let me say that louder. You spend over a million dollars a year, right? Uh, I, I, I heard a speaker once, his name was Harvey McKay. He wrote a great book called How to Swim with the Sharks and Not Get Eaten Alive. And he said that the first thing people do when they get a raise is buy a new car, right? We get the raise, we buy the new car, then you've got a higher car payment, you've got more insurance, and chances are you're now making less than you were before you got the raise. It's interesting stuff. So this man, Millard Dean Fuller, felt the call of God on his life that he was too busy, he was neglecting his faith in his family, and he went home, brave man that he was, and he shared this with his wife. And his wife said, let's pray about this. And the story says that they knelt together and they prayed. And she said, you know what? God is telling you, you need to change. And they sold their house and he quit his job. And he started a new business building affordable housing for low-income people and selling it to them at no interest. You've probably never heard the name of Millard Dean Fuller, but you've heard of Habitat for Humanity. What are you willing to give up? He heard the call of God. He prayed with his wife, which is a very brave thing to do sometimes. And he listened to the call of God. And we have all heard of the ministry of Habitat for Humanity. He recommitted his life to Christ, moved to a new, a modest home. Now, I, I wonder, just for the sake of argument, if you own a million-dollar home, what counts as a modest home? That's an interesting question for another day. But he changed everything. Now, one person heard this story. It was written in the anecdote. And they said, well, what about his children? And the speaker that, that wrote this illustration said, you know what? His children saw a godly man follow God with his heart and with his life. Those children are doubly blessed. Sometimes it's not what you give your children, it's what you demonstrate, what you live for them. Now the second question is, are you ready to build the kingdom of God? Now Bill Bright, you might remember him, Campus Crusade, shared the gospel all over the country and then all over the world with a little tiny track called, anybody? The Four Spiritual Laws. And law one was God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I have good news for you. Bill Bright was telling the truth. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. In fact, his plan has two parts. And we don't talk about this enough. Part one is for you to be a member of the body of Christ. Do you admit that you're a sinner in need of a savior? And you enter into a relationship with Christ. And we're told that his spirit fills you. And you are a part of the family of God. Uh, my kids used to laugh and they said it was fire insurance, right? Your place in heaven is secure. You're not going to burn. And they would say, Dad, you're going to preach turn or burn today? I said, no, I'm only going to preach turn. Burning is up to them. That's the first part of God's plan. But the second part of God's plan is that everybody in the kingdom has a unique set of gifts. They have a unique set of calling. They have a unique heart for ministry. And everybody in this room has to look for God's plan for their life. 
That's exciting stuff. Now, I don't know why, and I want you to know that this is a struggle I had. I think I sing pretty well, and I'm not looking for compliments. Don't make my head swell too much, but I'm a pretty darn good singer. And I always thought that I would be one of those folks that went from church to church, had a good piano player, and we would sing concerts, and people would come to know Jesus by my singing. I really thought God would use my voice. Now, I'm still not looking for compliments, and I know that God has used my voice, but I thought for sure that would be my ministry. Never happened. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm pretty good with children under the age of 16. They think I'm funny. I think they're funny. Every now and then I make them cry. I made a kid cry yesterday or Friday in school. I call him a frog on a log. You're not allowed to be in my class and be a frog on a log. You have to get up and participate. If you're not a frog on a, if you're being a frog on a log, you got to go back to your lily pad. And I sent this kid back to his lily pad and he just cried and cried and cried. Well, that's where God is. You can't be a frog on a log. You got to get up and do something. And he says, everybody, everybody has a unique call. And here's the good news. It's not my job as your pastor to tell you what your call is. You know what your talents are. You know what your gifts are. You know what God has laid on your heart as a challenge and a mission. Bill Bright says God has a wonderful plan for your life. Please accept Jesus. And we're going to give an opportunity at the end of the service today if you haven't done that. We're going to give you that opportunity. But that's not the whole plan. That's not the rest of the story. Joyce Meyer says that some Christians think God belongs in a Sunday box. And we come on Sunday morning and we open the box and we say, oh, there's God. And then we close the box up. And, and God wants to live in your Monday box and your Tuesday box. He wants to live in your life every day of the week. But if we're keeping him in the Sunday box, he never gets a chance to show you his will for your life. There's three things going on here. He has given you a talent and a gifting. He's given you a vision. And he's asking you to provide the sweat equity. Just like when I was telling the kids, people say to me all the time, oh, I, I want to play the piano. Well, how many years you got? I teach basic psychology at the local college, and the kids come up and they go, you're so interesting, you have such great stories. I would love to do what you do. And I say, okay, you're in basic psychology. You're a freshman in college. You gotta get your bachelor's degree. Okay, then you gotta get your master's degree. Okay, then in the state of New Jersey, you have to do 8,000 hours of supervised counseling. You're going to work for somebody else, and they're going to watch how you counsel. Then you have to take the national counseling exam. How long does this take, they say? Oh, from now until then? Nine, ten years? And you can watch them. They visibly <laughs> deflate, and off they go. Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. But you've got to count the cost. It may cost family. It may cost relationships. It may cost like, Mil why can't I say his name? Millard Fuller. It might cost your life, your lifestyle, your standard of living. But who would want to build God's kingdom? And the last thing that we want to talk about is, are you ready for the battle? 
Now, here's the good news. You don't have to win the battle. The battle is already won. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, conquered sin and death. The battle is already won. I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. The war is already won. We participated in the battle, but we know how it ends. If you don't know how it ends, flip to the book of Revelation. It's already at the end of the book. Now, I am not one of these people, but I have family members that are. And if they're reading a book or a mystery, and they're, they're concerned for one of the characters, they'll flip to the end. Because if the character's name is at the end of the book, then their favorite character lives to the end, right? I got good news for you. Your favorite character lives to the end. He's victorious, and we all get to live in heaven. But what does it mean? Well, we're back to, to four things. You've got to put in the time. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me means you've got to go all the way to the end of the race. You can't stop along the way. Jesus says, we only get out of here one way. That's dying. What are you going to do between here and there? Are you going to live for me from now until the end of your life? Or are you going to give up along the way? You have to put in the time. I love this. God says, what are your talents? Now, I got good news for you. If we were going to build an actual tower, you do not want me anywhere near the building of that tower. When I go to work camp, they tell the kids, do not let Doc touch any of the tools. And what happened the first night I was at work camp? I was working in the kitchen and I sliced my thumb open and I had to go to the emergency room. Thank goodness, I was the only kid at work camp. The 59-year-old kid had to go and get three stitches and I preached with one of those big gauze things on my thumb for two weeks. If you look at, on Christian Endeavor's website, there I am preaching with, with three stitches. Why? Because that's not my talent. But I like to think I have a talent in worship and a talent in preaching, and a talent in administration. What's your talent? What is God calling you to do? And rarely does he call us to do something that isn't in the gifting that he's given us. You have to have tenacity. You have to be like the kid learning to play the piano that practices every day. One of the saddest things that happens, and, and I, Karen and I talked about this before, is you're playing the piano and some adult will come up and go, I took piano lessons when I was a kid and I, I wish I had never stopped. And I always say, you know, you can start up again or, or you run into a person that say, you know, I used to go to church. I say, there's, there's room for you. The door is always open. Come to my church. And I, I tell them, and hopefully you'll tell them the same thing. I say, our pastor's reasonably entertaining. That's my goal. If you catch the gospel and it's reasonably entertaining... We should do okay. And then you have to realize that the truth. Managers say this a lot in business. I wouldn't ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do. So the story's told that there was a, a pastor in Boston named Dr. Gordon. And Dr. Gordon was walking down the alley next to his church and he saw a little boy with a bird cage with some wild birds in it. And he said, son, what, what are you doing with those birds? And the little boy said, well, I, I caught them. I'm going to take them home and I'm going to play with them and I'm going to poke them and tease them and, and just have fun. 
And he said, well, son, what are you going to do after that? And he says, well, I have a cat. Mm. He said, well, son, how much for the birds? And the little boy looked at him. He said, $10. Dr. Gordon said, sure. He gave the little boy $10, and he took the cage. And you know what he did? He let the birds go out. And Sunday morning, when his parish came to church, there was a bird cage on the altar. And all the people were looking like, why did our pastor put this ugly, old, empty bird cage on the altar? And when it came time for the sermon, Dr. Gordon said, you're all wondering about the bird cage, and everybody nodded. And he said, let me tell you the story. And he told the story of the little boy, and he said, that reminds me of another story. He said, one day Jesus and the devil were talking, and the devil had a cage, and he had humanity in the cage. And Jesus said, what are you going to do with him? He says, well... I'm going to teach them to lie and to cheat and to divorce one another and to drop bombs one another. And Jesus said, what are you going to do when you're tired of them? And the devil said, I'm going to damn them all to hell. Jesus said, well, how much? The devil said, you can't afford it. He said, why would you want them? They'll mock you. They'll torture you. They'll crucify you. You don't want these. Jesus said, how much? The devil said, all your blood and all your tears. And Jesus said, sold. He wouldn't ask us to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. So if you've never admitted that you need Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, if you've never said, I want to admit that I'm a sinner and that I need Jesus in my life, during the last hymn, we're going to open the two front pews, and we would love to pray with you and help you make that decision. If you are ready on this day to accept the adventure, the, the call that God has laid on your life, to accept his vision and to use your talents to build the kingdom, again, the first two pews are going to be open during our last hymn, and Wiki and I and, and the deacons would love to pray with you. And friends, I, I want you to think about one more thing. Some of you remember when this church was filled with people. Some of you remember when Easter Sunday, maybe it was like at my church when I was a kid, you had to bring in extra chairs because there were so many people here. The gospel hasn't changed. Jesus has still paid the price. What he's saying to us is, I need you to share that gospel with the people in your life, your coworkers, your family, your neighbors, and say, like it says in our bulletin, we have something wonderful to share. If you want to come forward and pray for our church and our community, Pastor Wiki and I would love to pray with you as well. Amen.